guys this is episode six of the warm-up show and today we have a very special guest mr jack aaron Binks. how are you jack all right thank you for having me <laughs> thank you for being here so jack is calling from uh, from the uk from york and um jack and i go, go way back we uh we played together two years two years yeah, three years in uh, in san francis a full three years full three years Uh, winning two championships, by the way, and um, and now uh, he's back. You're back in England, in your motherland, uh, to, and you have your own company, and you're as well uh, studying. You are in your third year of a PhD, and uh, this is why I'm super excited to have you on the call because we're going to talk about first of all your career as a as a player and how your mental kind of affect you. Uh, especially for a goalkeeper, and also we'll be we'll be really talking and, and focusing on one of the of the tool of the mental preparation, which is the imagery or the, the visualization. I know I know you can call it both, uh, depending on uh, on where you are. Um, and and uh, and I'm super excited to talk about this because I think it's it's one of the most powerful tools that you can have if, uh, if you manage to really understand it it can really help you uh, in your performances so thank you again for for taking the time to be on the call jack and uh, i'm gonna leave you the the stage now so can you just uh, introduce yourself and tell us about your your football career for where you started to play when and uh, and all of this absolutely so um well i'm jack thank you for introducing me uh, cyril i'm uh back in England now but uh it's it's nice to have the opportunity like this to uh to help out uh you Cyril and hopefully help out the future of our players and um and it's also nice to talk about uh, the experiences that we had as well yeah uh, I started well grassroots football is fun for everybody um but it kind of developed into my first um proper club you could say was Middlesbrough Football Club Um, and I played for them between the age of 14-ish to 16 um, in the academy there. Um, Middlesbrough was really close to me, uh, proximity, so that was a really good training ground. Uh, it's a beautiful training ground anyway. Um, so I played and was coached by some really, really, uh, really good coaches there. Uh, uh, Mid Middlesbrough is... Uh, where, what The first team is in the world now. The They were in the. Uh, they'd just been relegated from the Premier League at the time, um, and they are. Uh, you're you're going to have to edit this bit. <laughs> no, um, they, they went low. Asking me, they were um, fighting for a big club. Like I remember, they were always in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they're in the Championship. Okay. The 19th in the championship. That's um at the minute. That's why I stumbled there. Um uh, with everything that's going on with the season being paused and some some teams been promoted and relegated. Um at present they are 19th in the championship. But at the time they were a top Premier League uh, team. So those training grounds are absolutely beautiful. Mm. Uh, from there it works a little differently in England. At 16 you kind of finish your formal schooling and then um, I went full-time at 16. 
um, at Charlton Athletic, um, who again were a Premier League team, if you remember back in the day, um, and they had been relegated as well at the time. So I kind of went to two um, two struggling teams, but an amazing an amazing uh, experience. Um, the first team coach was Alan Pardew, and I played with some really cool players: Nicky Weaver, uh, John Joe Shelby. Um, there was Darren Ambrose there. There was all sorts of players. So Jenkinson as well. Jenkinson was there, um, and actually pl- played with uh, Robbie Elliott. Uh, trained with Robbie Elliott um, every day. Who was recently played for Newcastle. Um, so up in Newcastle and. Um, Played for uh, Darren Rand- Randolph as well. Darren Randolph was the goalie that I trained with. Um, so obviously, a, a Ireland international. Um, he was also went up to Middlesbrough and then he's back at the Hammers, I think. Is he at West West Ham? So he's a good Premier League goalkeeper. Yeah. So I guess that yeah that was the glory that the glory years that um, it was just a, it was just an amazing experience. Um, but I was lucky enough. Uh, like you were, Cyril, to see an opportunity and take it with both hands. And uh, New York uh, offered us an amazing opportunity to go out there. Um, I don't know about you, but best decision I ever made uh, to go out there, uh, to took that opportunity. And I um, had an amazing four, four, nearly five years in college, uh, playing football competitively all up and down America. Um, and just on the team with an amazing bunch of internationals, uh, truly amazing, yeah. Just, just let, let's go back to when you were you were sixteen. That's very interesting. You say you decided to go uh, to go full time, so you finish your your schooling, and then at sixteen years old, you say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to be pro. That's what that that's what was in, yes. your, in your head, yeah. Yes. And so, so, and so you did. How long you did? Two years before coming to America? Um, yeah, two years in the academy at Middlesbrough and then it was two, two years at Charlton. So for, uh, can you yeah. tell us towards the end when you, when you decided that you were going to come to America, was it because you were, you, you were looking for something different or you understood that maybe you're not good enough for the high level or uh, an injury or what, what happened? Um, I was lucky with injuries, didn't get injured, but um, I know when I started playing competitively, I guess 14, 15, I was a six foot one goalkeeper, did a decent job, um, didn't grow a centimetre since. Um, no, six foot one is quite small um, for top flight football. It seemed to be a factor at the time, I don't know how much a factor of it is now. Yeah. It's easier to tell myself it was that than I wasn't good enough. <laughs> but um, but no, after I got released from Charlton, I actually went on a few different trials. I actually went on trial uh, with Plymouth. Um, I went on trial with a few other teams as well and just didn't quite make it. Um, I'm sure that I could have played like championship, earned a living, earned a little bit of money, but um, I, I was excited about coming to America and I was excited to play over over there. So I'm very glad that I did that. I'm glad that I wasn't stubborn and tried to just put my head down, get kind of hit in the face day after day after day with like trouble, trouble, hard work, and then just to have a career up until I was 25, 30 in the, cha- in the 
uh, conference uh, division, and then and then what? Uh, but America get offers a lot of opportunities, uh, yeah. but it mentally very difficult. It was mentally very difficult at the time. I'm not ashamed to admit it. 18, I thought I was giving up the dream of being a professional in England, um, and I think that's a hard thing for a lot of um, for a lot of English players in particular. I think to give that up. And I think it's not just English players. I think that's football is such France too. France and even in nine America, but except that, I think in America maybe they're having a little more trouble. Like, like thinking, okay, I, I won't make it. I think here, and it's also it's also a, an advantage to to have this mentality of saying never give up, but yeah. admitting that you're not good enough for the for the top top. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. But I think the earlier you understand it, the more chance you give, you give yourself to do something else and, and the less time you lose. Um, you know what's why I love doing those interviews too? Because I've done that with Fabian, with, uh, with other guys that we played with. We, were, we lived together for about four years, five years. We actually never talked about this thing. No. We, like, I, knew, I knew your story, but... I, I didn't know all this thing. Like we, we don't talk about these feelings because, well, it's hard to admit first of all, and it's also later on that you can, you know, go back and and look at it and and really understand it. So, um, it's easier to reflect on it when you have time away from from that issue. But uh, okay. we didn't see it as an issue when we were in America because uh, we we I think we knew that we'd made the right and the best decision. That was definitely. The right decision. has got his masters. Um, you're doing amazing things uh, with uh, the academy. Yeah, and and I'm glad that I got myself a degree. Yeah, so <laughs> let, let's go. Let, let's talk about. Well, let's finish on on the football yeah. side. So, as a yeah. goalkeeper, um, the mental game in the goalkeeper is even more important than for any players, I believe. Because you are there, you you're on your you're in your box over there, like literally, and the game can be on the other side for a good thirty minutes. You don't touch the ball. You have to stay uh, concentrated. You have to stay focused. Don't look at the crowd. Uh, you have the competition between two or three other goalkeepers. There's so much going on. Can you tell us uh, all the ups and downs that you had uh, yeah. mentally? Oh, and absolutely. What went through us oh, during a game? Being a goalkeeper is is a very is a tough position. It's tough. It's hard work physically and mentally. Um, with goalkeepers, you don't get chance after chance. You often have one chance. Um, if you do amazing, then you get many more chances after that. If you mess up one time, then yeah, you're in trouble. And you don't. It's not like strikers where you can miss ten and score one. And then you're the hero still. If a goalkeeper, if you make more than one mistake, you're the villain. Yeah. Um, very mentally difficult to deal with that. Um, especially when, as you said, you might be stood for 80 minutes. It could be a rainy day in England. It could be a blistering hot day in America. Looking out, you're thirsty, dehydrated, and you're just focusing, you're shouting, and you're trying to do anything to keep yourself going. But on top of that, it's the physical element of... It's such a paradox between all week at training, your job is to dive on the ground. You just throw yourself on the ground as hard as you can again and again and again. 
You could do it for one hour. I've done it for two hours or more of people just hammering balls in it. Yeah. So physically you're exhausted, but then it comes to game day and you actually might not do anything at all, nothing. And you might be required for one minute. And it's such a difference in the training there. You've just got to be ready for everything. You mentally have got to be so strong. Just nothing can break you down. This is, this is it's amazing. a challenge. Like I've never really thought about it until like I started coaching. But this is such a it's a weird it's, it's right? a different sport. It's a different yeah. sport. I actually asked I remember asking my strength and conditioning coach, please can I do the basketball strength and conditioning? It's up and down, side to side, really quick bursts. No. You're doing footballers strength and conditioning. Okay, I'll just run eight eight miles around the field. Uh, very right, we did that. Yeah. But but I understand what they said. You've got to be mentally ready for anything. That's true, but um as a goalkeeper, you've got to wear so many hats. You've got to be try to be good at everything. Um, but the the strange thing I always go back to in a game, you might only be needed for that 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can be ready. So can you give some uh, some tips or some stuff that you did that you you thought were uh, successful to keep you in the game? Because uh, all the, for all the the young goalkeepers who are watching and who have the same problem of of losing focus and not being there for that 60 seconds where you need it. So do you have any tips? Did you do anything? Obviously, in your head, there's a lot of internal speech as well. I guess. Uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, one of the biggest tips I could give you is. Um, is building a relationship with that back four, just truly understanding that back four. What I didn't realize actually towards the end of my career, did a couple of exercises in America that really helped. I don't know if you do this in your training, but pretty much tie a rope around the back four. Um, so that back four can never get out of position. They go across together, they come across together, one steps up, one steps back. And then for the goalkeeper to control that movement and be so strict that your players don't get pulled out of position by more than a couple of feet, that is your life jacket right in front of you. And if you do that really well, then you might not, the goalkeeper might not need to do anything. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great... That's a great uh... So what comes into that? What comes into that is mental preparation um, with your players understanding your players mentality that they have to have your goalkeeper screaming all day long understand that information know how to work with those players the psychological side of goalkeeping is just is just what's under the iceberg the saves are like the tip of the iceberg and what comes underneath is everything else and it's all communication psychological and um for everybody who's watching uh I was actually the center back in front of Jack, and I remember you were talking the whole game. You were just, even yeah. if, it's, if it's just little details like words of encouragement or about the positioning, that that relation between you see the back four and the goalkeeper is is crucial. It's crucial. It was good. We had a good, and we had a good relationship. Uh, we won some championships and had some real success with that. Um, and as our relationship got better, it was even delicate things like. Step with your left foot. Show him that. Show him onto his right foot. Okay, Fabian, you step in, or Andy, you step in. It could have been any any little detail that to the bigger stuff of knowing how to give the positive feedback. 
so that your defenders keep working and working and working for you. Um, yeah, I, I personally think that is is the most important aspect of goalkeeping is that commanding and understanding. And it's true that the, but just by talking and observing your defenders, you staying in the game as well. If you if you're there, you can just become forgotten and stay stay yeah. active and also as, as well physically I see a lot of goalkeepers who just stand when you know just do a couple of high knees or shuffle step up and down the box just trying to stay on and on and on all the time. while you're doing that you have to predict the le- the next move as well. So the goalkeeper has to be almost watching themselves in the box and imagining where the best position to stand would be for the for the most likely predicted move. Um, so you'll see top flight international goalkeepers, they will they will go across the box and they'll drop back if they think that their defender might receive the ball at their feet because then you're increasing a bit of distance so that if you get the ball at your feet, you've got a little bit more time to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And all these million things are going through the goalkeeper's mind before the striker even gets the ball passed to their feet. Um, you really can't switch off. And that's a great transition for the next topic of... Uh... Of, of this little interview so you were talking about uh, the school and uh, so you had your degree at St. Francis what was your degree? Uh, I got a bachelor's uh, in psychology uh, and in English and then I got my master's uh, in applied psychology applied psychology and then you went back to uh, England to start your PhD and like I said in the introduction so go on your third year of your PhD so I'm a, so the masters in applied psychology taught me how to how to do experiments um, that are robust and reliable. And then I came back to England. Uh, it was to, to help out with the family business and to also uh, pursue the PhD. And the PhD is in something called uh, that I now know as motor imagery. Um, it's been known as many things over the years. It's been known as mental practice. Um, it's been known as visualization. Um, it's been known as many, many things, but uh, formally it is known as motor imagery. Um, and I can get why into that. Um, but basically, I was very lucky that the PhD was right in my hometown. Uh, I couldn't believe the luck. Uh, so I was so fortunate for that. And I was able to get on a really good team. And uh, we're all working towards the, th- the same thing of making the imagination scientific and truly understanding and measuring this phenomena of the imagination that we all use to be the best football players uh, that we can be. Exactly. Um, yeah, where do, you want me, where do you want me to start with that? Yeah, so there's so much to talk about. So I'm, I'm super excited, but I, I just want to say it again one more time for everybody who's listening. This mental preparation that I'm working on and that um, I'm trying to develop and help players with, it is not something out of the blue. It's, it's proven. Those are facts. There's a science behind it that by doing all of this, you will get better. You will optimize your performances. And this uh, particular point, the imagery and the motor skill that we're going to talk about, again, I think is, is one of the three most powerful tools with having routines and, and, goals, uh, and goals that you set for yourself. But we'll go into it a little bit later. Um, can you just start very simply by uh, giving us a quick understanding and quick definition of what um, imagery and uh, motor skills are? Yes. So your motor skills are 
your actions, what you do with your limbs. You have kind of gross motor skills that you might have heard of, and those are your big movements. And then you have your fine uh, motor skills, which are like doing your buttons on your shirts. These are the little ones. Both really important um, to understand and to also really important for the football field. So <clears throat> what motor imagery is, is the, it's the imagination of an action without physically doing it. It's imagining, as a goalkeeper, I did this all the time. I imagined myself, I kind of shut my eyes and imagined my position in the box. And I imagined, okay, I move my right foot, my left foot, I'm getting in the right position. It's imagining those movements and actions that you do without physically moving, okay? And what we've learned is that that actually, that actually is activating your brain in something called the motor cortex, which is the motor part of your brain. And that is actually sending signals from your brain into the limbs that you are imagining moving, okay? So what I really got excited about this, because as a goalkeeper, as I've said, you can only do so much, so much training because you get injured, you have balls shot at you, you're diving on the ground, and it's just, it hurts. It really does hurt, especially on AstroTurf. So, um, so I spent a lot of time watching game tape, and I'm thinking, well, what's the best way of imagining myself in this game tape? Do I imagine watching from my own eyes? Or do I imagine the camera from on top of me? Mm -hmm. Your own eyes is your first-person perspective. The camera is your third-person perspective. And I think this is really interesting because it's how do we teach our players to embody these movements and embody the practice off the field? And I think this is a really key part. So I actually did my master's study um, on something called kinesthetic motor imagery. So kinesthetic is your movements, the touching, the feeling. And it was versus visual motor imagery, which is the watching, like imagining yourself and watching yourself. So it's an important difference. We know from, from football players, imagining something or just watching something. So it turns out that if you do kinesthetic motor imagery, which is imagining the feeling of the action, then it sends those signals from the brain into your limbs much, much stronger. The visual imagery alone, without the feeling, um, it gets distorted because I don't know if you remember biology in high school. If you, if you remember, like when you see something, it goes back to front in the back of the head. Or if you have a camera, if you don't flip it, it's back, it's upside down. Yeah. Your visual field can trick you, but the feeling of the imagery, the feeling of the action, is much more true. So. I then developed that when I went back to England and I started the PhD. I wanted to kind of prove that you can imagine an action and actually get better at that skill. So how do we test that? So I set up a few studies uh, and I taught people a skill. Uh, in England, it was a skill that they'd never done before. And then we watched game tape after game tape after game tape, week after week after week. And I taught them to use motor imagery, mental practice. And I had to have them imagine the feeling of this action. And these, these people got better. Um, six weeks later, they were significantly better. Um, and it kind of proved that practice is possible when you're off the field. Practice is possible without any physical practice, um, which kind of opens the gates to, to this field. Especially now, when with everything that's happening, and you're kind of stuck into, like you're stuck at home. You maybe you cannot go play as much as you want. 
This yeah. is where it comes into it. So we'll go a little bit more in detail about all the research that you have done so you can give us like some other examples. But just to recap here. So Jack, what, what Jack is saying is this. The, 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 the connections in your brain are almost the same whether the scene is imaginated or if it's real. What you're going to feel is about the same. So can you give us some, um, some example of how you think a player could do this at home and, uh, and improve on a particular skill for football? Um, there's, for, for a goalkeeper, it would be most beneficial for positioning. Um, the thing there's a lot of, as you guys know, in practice, it's a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is you can do the physical, if you can do the physical skill, it's a, almost an embodiment. You're embodying this skill. Uh, your body is learning it. Then you can actually do the, you can do the repetitive part of it again, again, again. Whether you do a Cruyff turn, whether you receive the ball with the inside of the right foot, and then you put it between your legs to turn this way. Okay, well, my head has got to turn. My shoulders have to turn, but I have to be aware of my midfielder over there. Yeah. These are all things that can be done off the field and they can be done with this motor imagery practice. Um, there's absolutely no reason why they're, they're any different. Um, and the research, I can, I can send you a list of some interesting stuff. If anyone's really interested, I can send you some articles. Please, please send, I'll put everything in the description, guys, on the YouTube video. I'll put all the links in the, in the description if you're interested. I think you should look at it. Yeah, but there was, it was one of your guys, uh, a guy called Marc uh, Jeanneroux, I think he's called. And 1990, um, in 2001, sorry, he made, uh, his study proved that the physical action, so if I was to throw a dart, the physical action of that and then imagining doing it is functionally equivalent. It's equivalent for the neurons that that in the brain that are making that action go. Um, so we know that it is the same as doing it with or without physically moving. So you could actually, if, if, you, are, if you want to be a dart player, you could actually just stay home and do different techniques that we're not going to go too much into it, but just by closing your eyes and really feeling the movement, seeing the, how do you call that, the target, I guess? Yeah. And seeing yourself throw the dart, you can actually train like this instead of going to the place and actually do it and have about the same effect. That's it. And what, what young players need to understand is that it's your brain sending the signal from your brain down into your spinal cord, into your limb and out of your limb. And that's when you have action. It's the brain. And I wanted to also say, I don't know if you use the term uh, muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Heard that term? There's no such thing. It's motor memory. It's the signal. It's the strength of the signal in your brain that fires it out into your limb again and again and again. It's motor memory. And that's really powerful to understand that your brain is the key. I've been saying muscle memory for a while now, so thank you. But if you think about it, it's your brain that's key and it's the motor signal. Whatever the three pounds in your head is such a powerful tool that we're not using enough in football and that's why I want to change but the challenge with this is that we need to think about a way to adapt it for soccer players per position so I would think just like this if, you, if you're a penalty taker or a free kick taker 
good example, yeah. You could imagine you yourself doing this over and over. You can even go on the field, your home field, put the ball down without hitting it, just seeing it and practice like this. Yeah. This is such so, a wonderful tool. It's, it's amazing. If I can give the example for goalkeeper. So again, no goalkeeper wants to practice saving penalty after penalty after penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, what you can do is you can imagine the run-up, the, the strikers run up to the ball, where their foot is planted, where their knee is. Is their knee open? Is their knee closed? Is their hip open? Is their hip closed? Mm-hmm. What about their body? Where are they facing? Are they facing you? Are they facing the right? And you will see as a goalkeeper these microseconds of these little gestures in the body, and you will know where that striker is placing the ball. It's, this it's can all be done. It's almost like an instinct. Yeah. That's what you, you could call an instinct. You're building an instinct. You're building a reaction in that brain. Um, and same for the striker. The striker can also watch for the goalkeeper's micro-movements. Um, but the, this can all be refined and practiced um, at home uh, by using your brain. And this is, this is the off-season where, and I think I personally learned this uh, while we were in St. Francis, the spring season, those three, four months, that's where you build up for the next season. And so we didn't do this type of work. It was more physical, but you can start as well there during the off-season, getting your brain ready. Because again, it's a long-term thing. You're not going to get better by doing it twice. Okay, it's, it, it's a long-term thing. And that's why... My show and, and, uh, and, uh, and what I'm learning is destined for young players. I, want, I, I think a 12, 13, 14 years old can slowly start to understand this process of all the mental training, the imagery and all of this. And if you start at 12, 13 years old and you do that for five years, you're 18 years old and I think by then you master it, you get such an advantage on everybody else. There's a massive advantage and, and you have control of your your brain at this point as well which is an unbelievable tool and it can be helpful in so many other ways just i know when you come on the practice field cyril i know that we've uh, felt this is how many mistakes does it make to kind of shake out the cobwebs and then really get into it like the first five minutes of practice is never the best five minutes but if you're using this practice you're building an efficiency as well uh, because you're making mistakes at home if you imagine a midfielder you receive the ball and then you think, do I need to pop it off quickly? Can I take two touches? What's my surroundings like? You can practice that scenario 15, 20, 50 times at home and you make 20 mistakes at home. And then on the field, you're so much more aware, uh, you're more organized and you're more efficient. So it has so many different benefits. This is, uh, I, I think the challenge for football, for, for football players and uh, soccer players is to find a way to do it because I think it's it's really it's extremely powerful if you focus on just one technical gesture, right? Mm-hmm. More than like obviously football is such a creative sport that you're always in movement. The situations are always different, but those little set pieces or corner kicks, free kicks, penalty kicks. I think this is where you can see an an improvement, like yeah. very, well, what very quickly. If you built, what about if you built that as a snapshot into it say if you had a midfielder who you wanted to improve their game as a coach you could build 10 snapshots for them what's your weakness maybe receiving with the left foot maybe acknowledging the space um, on your on your this side 
and you could build each snapshot, do a mental practice, a mental training for each of those snapshots, uh, snapshots, and then all those micro gains would improve that player's performance twenty percent, thirty percent. You can almost build individual packages into so training. Here. The, the mental training is is a work that's individualized, and that's why another reason why I'm, I'm doing all these shows because I think that. They should be. They should have a mental coach in all those academies and pro clubs because yeah. a normal coach or an assistant coach won't either won't know or won't have the time to individualize that training. But if you have a guy that's full time there and that's not only building a relationship with all the players for their confidence and knowing about the family, knowing about everything that's going on in their lives, making them feel better, and also maybe taking a right back and say, okay, when you, I, I want you to visualize the way that you ask the ball and where your first touch is going to go. Bam, you work on this. Okay, so this is, I think this is in, in the next 10 to 20 years, I really believe that there will be mental trainers in every I, single club. I think it's such an important part of the game because as you're saying, you've already brought in family, understanding different coaches. Well, this also, we know that this can reduce anxiety. Um, it, it improves confidence. Uh, it has so many other benefits. Because for uh, me, I, I, as a coach, you know, like the technical, the technical uh, stuff, the players will learn, and there's so much that you can do. The drills are out there. You can learn them, and then you're gonna put the time in it. But time, it's I always say, it's quality over quantity. You can train five hours doing the drill. You might as well stay home and do this if yeah. you want. If you want to get better. Tactically, you will learn. Coach is not the same, so obviously you have the you have Guardiola. We're gonna in, reinvent the game and the way it's played. Physically, I think in America, it's probably the best that I've seen towards Europe. Like, but mentally, it's everywhere in the world where it's not good enough, and there's such a big potential to to reach there. But my problem is, how do you adapt uh, this? So we've been talking about it because. This mental training and this imagery visualization has been done for a while now in individual sports. Uh, Michael Phelps, you see before the before the the race, he's, he's in the zone. He goes through the movement, same as um, um, when they do the ski. How do you call it? the ski professional? Oh, like, uh, like downhill skiing or toboggan? Yeah, yeah or bobsled. You see them doing those movements and seeing the. So they're doing it for the sports, and I think in football we are way behind, and, and this has to change. Again, if you're 12 years old and you start doing this for five years, when you get to when it really counts, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, when if you have the aspiration to be a professional player, you... Yeah, you're going to be in total control at this point. Total control. Yeah, That's amazing. Definitely heads and shoulders above players who are not using it. Uh, because your capacity to learn improves too. Um, you said bobsleigh. So how I understand um, the term, it's a, the term is neural efficiency. So you know your neurons that speak to each other higher across. So though it's neural efficiency. And if you imagine, if you take a sled and you slide down a hill in a snow, right? Imagine there's, there's nobody's done it. You, you do this because there's no path. Do it again. Do it again. Do it ten times. Now this now this path is. And you go so fast, and that message from the top to the bottom is reaching the target. When you practice in the brain, this signal is being sent to those limbs faster and faster and faster. And there's more networks that are going, and that is how you get better. And when you build this neural efficiency, 
and you do this for five years and now you're 18 years old, your capacity to learn has improved because you've literally opened your mind double than what anybody else has. You just opened my mind double. <laughs> that, that metaphor of the bobsleigh and the... And, uh, it's a because you can literally see those signals getting stronger. You guys, listen, guys, if you're watching this episode and you're really paying attention and you have the ambition to play at a high level, if you're a coach or if you're a soccer dad, a soccer mom, I really hope that you, you're listening and that you're going to execute it, that you're going to put in practice. It's going to take a lot of time. And this is, this is just amazing. Um, I'm definitely going to start doing this with my player as well. Um, do you think that 12, 13 years old have the capacity of understanding all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we, could, we if we do do some examples, make it more child-friendly, um, use, use those visual tools, like imagine you are sliding down a hill and you say things like this to them and they can imagine because I don't know, does a 12-year-old think, you know, if I practice with my foot, is my foot getting better? Well, no, actually, understand it's your brain that's now talking to your foot and it's getting better. So it's, this is what you're training. Um, your limbs are just the tools that your brain controls. Um, and maybe if a, if a 12-year-old understands that and they start looking after this, then, then that could be a start. This is fascinating. And, you know, that makes me sad a little bit too because I wish I knew this when I was 13 years old. I would have been a different player. I wish yeah. I knew this. So, guys, if, again, if you're watching that, don't lose time. Um, DM me. You can email me. We can talk about it. Uh, I'll be in touch with Jack all the time to to learn even more and uh, and give you all those little advice. Do you have any any other example of studies or article that you have that can bring another a little more value to this? This, do you know what? There, there, are, there are quite a lot of studies kicking about. And what, so you said, so this has been around for quite a long time and football's a little bit far behind. And it has been around a long time. The imagination, we know that if we imagine things, we, we tend to kind of get there. And we thought, are they just more ambitious? Are they just more excited about it? But it's only recently, very, very recently, in the last 10 years that we have... Um, neuroimaging devices that we know as um, like fMRI. Have you heard of MRI machine where it's, um, it's measuring your brain? We have lots of different neuroimaging devices. And for the first time in the last 10 years, we know how the brain is talking to our body. So this is pretty much brand new. Um, and that's why it's so exciting to really research now is that as these these are expensive like because they're often in hospitals, the fMRI machines, yeah. and you've got to go in the hospital and you've got to do the study. But now they're in universities, and now they're becoming part of um, sports programs, and sports teams might have, start having access to them in big universities. And suddenly we have access to it, and then we can do studies and measure the brain. And like now is the most exciting time for this. Now it's becoming real because we have access to these these machines. Um, I'm, I'm mind blown. Yeah, if, it's, I already it's, knew. Yeah, I already knew a little bit about it because I'm learning and uh, I'm doing my course and I should have my certification in mental training within the yeah. next month. So I'm I'm learning about it, but just going in in details with you just opening up 
all the stuff. So, so many, you've got ideas going, right? There's ideas, so, potentials, so opportunities. Yeah, it's exciting, and it's and it's really it's really current. It's really uh, prevalent now. Um, so it's 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 more important than ever. It's just the fact that it's it's backed up by science just makes it more real and more believable for all those people who, eh, you know, it's, it's mental training. It's you can't really quantify it, so it doesn't it doesn't really exist. But that that's a big a big change now. It would be nice. I'll send you a couple of studies that have shown improvements in skill that have shown improvements in strength and then i'll do i'll send you some neurological studies that have just proven the science uh, behind the uh behind theory please do I'll, I'll make sure to to put everything in the description so it's available for everybody um is, is there anything you want to you want to talk about um i don't know um, I could tell you a little bit about, I could tell you quickly about my last year's research. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know if you find it interesting, but I've been working with a, a stroke group for the last year um, of uh, individuals in England who have, have suffered a stroke, they're stroke survivors, and they've lost movement of either one arm or both arms. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually, we used what we've talked about today the whole imagine the action, imagine using those limbs and what it entails and doing that. Um, over a six-week period, there was no physical practice at all. Um, and then we measured their, um, their motor skills at the end, and there was significant improvement in motor skills in a post-stroke population um, through mental practice alone. So that's started with, uh, with fingers, I imagine, or the whole so so what I used was, you'll know it in America as cup stacking, where you have the cups and you stack on top. Have you seen that sport? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in England, nobody's ever heard of that before. It's a totally novel and interesting sport. So I took it to this older population because I thought, if I'm going to get them to practice it, it's got to be fun, right? They've got to have some sort of incentive and fun. So they did cup stacking at the start, ones who had... Partial movement, maybe maybe five percent movement, and they were really slow, um, really nervous, and really uncomfortable, kind of doing it. And then we said, right, we're not doing that again for six weeks. We are imagining that action, and we trained it with a video. It's called action observation with motor imagery. We did video and the motor imagery at the same time. This combined approach uses more of the brain. And then they practiced it for six weeks straight using just that game tape. So, yeah. sorry, so you were showing them a video, just like a tactical analysis? I showed them a video. Um, I did a really nice video of them cup, of cup stacking. Nice so and slow. Which point of view? Was it their hands? or it was a third person point of view. It's a really interesting point because, as I said about the game tape, it can be viewed from third person, imagining your out-of-body experience, like you sometimes do on game, game tape, right? Mm -hmm. Or first-person perspective, which is from your own eyes. And we have done studies that have found that the first-person perspective is far more powerful. Yeah. Um, it's much easier to associate it. But we haven't figured out how to do that in game tape because you'd be shaking about yeah, it. you got to play with the, with the glasses. If we can do that, that is much more powerful because the third-person it's hard for you to embody that as you, as you, you associate it as somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the stroke group, they watched first person perspective, imagined their own hands on the screen, 
cup stacking. They didn't move at all. Did that for six weeks. Every um, day? They did it um, for two hours a week. Um, that was it. Just two hours wow, a week. week. Yeah, I couldn't That's get them it. to do it. Yeah. You've got to think, they, they volunteered their own time as well. And it was difficult to get them in, um, all come to the group. Um, so two hours a week and we, over six weeks, and we still showed significant improvements. This is amazing. Yeah. So it's a very powerful approach. Uh, and you're onto something good. I think it's a total no-brainer to use that in football. It is. Future. You just need to find the best way to, to make young players understand it and then give them some kind of exercise to do on their own. And then after that, they have to put in the work. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not me, but I think you take 10 minutes at night, you're sitting in your bed yeah. doing this every night, you make it a routine, and that's it. Easy. Yeah. Jack, this has been amazing. Um, if we have nothing else to add, I'm just going to ask you some questions, rapid fire questions that I do with all my guests. This is more the fun part for me and for you to, to just uh, think about your football career. Uh, trying to answer quick. First question yeah. What is your favorite moment that you spend on the football field? Your best moment on the football field? Winning, winning the championship. It was the single best. When 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 Andy put that free kick in and I ran down the field, that that was you um, best feeling ever. First or second time? I nearly I nearly fainted both times. <laughs> I can't compare them. Yeah, every time you watch the video I see you there before almost yeah. all the players. You yeah. are already in the middle though. I don't the fact that he did it once or twice, I don't know which one's more unbelievable. Um just that moment, the whole team together, it was just the cherry on top of the cake. It was unbelievable. Like like Coach Sinan said one time, he said that feeling of winning, you can you can drink, you can do as many drugs as you want, you'll never find it again. Yeah. That feeling. And so this is another part of uh, imagery that we didn't talk about it because we, t- we were talking about technical imagery, but there's also the one where by having this feeling of relaxation and, and success and concentration, you can also improve your performances just by, for example, if you have problem with stress, you, you're very stressed right before the game starts, just by closing your eyes, breathing and feeling a relax, uh, a moment, I don't know, that you, where you feel good about it, you can also yeah. change all of that. So there's two parts of the imagery, but I really want to talk about the technical part with you. Second yeah. question, um, what is the worst moment on a football field? Um, oh God, you know what? What probably was 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 losing the penalty shootout against LIU because yeah. uh, I, I I felt responsible to an extent, and I also um, I knew that's probably going to be the last game that I would play for a long time. Like the same for me. I missed the penalty, so <laughs> it took me so long to get over it, but. Whatever. I think you held that dumb mist after me. <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, I did this with Fagan, and he told me that was actually one of his favorite moments of the football field. But yeah, he, wow. he, he, he had a nice approach for him too, because that was not the end for him. You know, he had another two seasons after that. But he really loved the fact that how we were with each other after the game. 
even if obviously we were like devastated and stuff, but he loved the friendship that we had in this moment. I hated it. <laughs> that was super tough. That was super tough. That's a different type of person to feel that. Yeah, yeah. I mean... That's never going to be... It's also because um, what you've been blessed that you didn't get injured but usually when i ask this question you say oh this injury or this injury that's that's also part of the football but just like losing and uh it's just that he heard that it was the last game on the last year with probably the best team that we had yeah uh yeah and uh what is the the one the one thing that football brought you and that you're very grateful for Uh, football brought me everything Football brought me America. Football brought me um, an amazing friendship group. It brought me my wife. Um, it brought me every opportunity. brought me my degree. Um, without football, I, I, it would be just incomprehensible, the difference. I like to ask, this, to ask this question because that helps also people who, who maybe are struggling uh, with giving up the dream of playing pro, I think the best way to do it is just look back at what it brought you and just be grateful for it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm in the same, uh, I'm in the same um, situation with you. But was me everything. All my best friends, you guys were at my wedding. Uh, I live in America. My wife is from here. I, I would have never been here without football. I mean, there's just so much stuff. So yeah. that's why I like to finish with this question. Uh, listen, Jack. That was that was amazing. Probably the best episode we've done so far. So much value out of it. Um, I, I put this uh, out very soon. Uh, Thank you for having guys, me. We will put the links of all the articles if you want to know more. I also add um, maybe Jack if you wanna if you wanna answer if people have questions and they really need uh, some more technical approach. Maybe I'll, I'll redirect them to you. Um, but that's it any 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 last words um no thank you for having me thank you for i always love love chatting with you so it's a perfect perfect day for me perfect uh end to my day ending yeah it's almost five five or six o'clock um yeah, yeah it's half past four on a friday so Guys, this is it for today. Again, make sure uh, you give it a like. If you liked it, you can share it with anybody who's into football or sports psychology. Make sure you can share it with them. We are on uh, TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms, Spotify for the podcast, YouTube for the whole video. And uh, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, you, Sarah. Thank <laughs> you.